grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amen. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Romans 12, 14. Not only are we to refrain from wishing harm on those who persecute us, but we're actually supposed to desire that good comes upon them. And not just a little good, but good from God. Bless. Bless and do not curse. This is our sermon text this morning. Why? Because it so clearly goes against what comes naturally to our sinful hearts. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. To which we grumble, seriously, Lord? Yes, seriously. Show genuine love, godly love. Show hospitality to your enemy. Feed him, give him something to drink, and not with an ulterior motive, but because you genuinely love him. All of this is extremely hard for us to do. Our sinful hearts are miles away from this disposition. This, however, is the heart of God. This is exactly what he does. Jesus lived to genuinely love his enemies. And who were his enemies? I'm looking at them. Us. Sinners who set ourselves against God. He lived to die in love of us, his enemies. Genuinely blessing and not cursing his persecutors. As I said, he actually was praying a suffrage prayer from the cross. Forgive them, they know not what they do. We were hungry for righteousness. So he died on the cross to give us his holy body to eat in holy communion. You were thirsty for salvation, so he died on the cross to give you his saving blood to drink. He showed hospitality to us and contributed to all of our needs, all of which is necessary, everything we needed to be satisfied in the eyes of God, to be justified, to be forgiven. He died to give you life, genuine love, and redemption. And baptism, his Holy Spirit gives us his heart and is teaching us to live genuinely as those who love their enemies, blessers of our persecutors. True Christians. This work will be completed within us when we finally are brought into our Lord's glory. Whether that's when we die, <clears throat> excuse me, or when he comes again. That our desire is not naturally one of blessing, love, and good, but cursing, vengeance, and evil isn't happenstance, it's not by chance that we're set opposed to God's way, but by the very design of the prince of this world, Satan, 
who has erected a cultural climate in America that breeds, usually without detection, an aversion to suffering. To suffering. His design is so thorough in our world and in what we think that we say things like, of course I don't want to suffer. Who wants to suffer? No one wants suffering. That's just a given. But it's this false, assumptive reaction to suffering that demonstrates the mastery of Satan's culture craft, which is evil. In the Western world, we are very easily duped by Satan in terms of suffering. And we'll talk more about that as we go through today's sermon as we look at how other Christians or a particular Christian lived in the past. But it does reveal to us when we think, of course, no one wants to suffer. It does reveal to us just how far away we are from being able to bless those who persecute us. Because we tend to think we're justified when we suffer at the hands of others to have a little bit of, if not full-on hatred for them, at least dislike for them. And definitely don't have to wish them well. Because after all, they did cause me some suffering. So let's just pretend they're not there and call it a day. But the Lord says, no, bless them. Pray for them. We know we live in the upside-down world of Isaiah 5, 20 and 21. And yes, you should be thinking stranger things if you're sitting in the middle of the church. This group here, I know, is familiar with the upside-down. Stephanie's looking behind her as if it's not her family that knows what I'm talking about. And mine as well. The upside-down wasn't invented by some writers in Hollywood, but Isaiah preached about it in 5, 20 and 21. We know we live in the upside down when it comes to suffering because we think of suffering as the opposite of goodness, joy, hope, harmony, and blessing. We think those things are opposed to one another. But for the Christian, for you and me, suffering is the welcome instrument that delivers so many of God's blessings. The welcome instrument. For you and me, suffering has been co-opted to be a good thing. Let me introduce you to a Christian man who didn't live in our Western culture of comfort. A Christian man who didn't curse his persecutors and in a wonderful replication of Jesus' willingness to feed the hungry with his very own body wrote to the Roman church some 50 years or so after Paul encouraging the Christians there to pray that his body would actually become food. If you're looking at the cover of your bulletin, you get an idea of what I'm talking about. This great Christian's name was Ignatius. He was the bishop of Antioch when the Roman emperor Trajan unleashed his persecution in AD 108. And as Ignatius prepared to suffer the ultimate persecution, martyrdom, death, in Rome, he sent a letter ahead to the churches there, instructing the Christians not to stand in the way of the suffering that he was going to face. Not to interfere with him being fed to the beasts. 
These are some of his words. I wrote to the, to the churches, and I signify that I am willing to die for God, unless you hinder me. Suffer me to be the food of the wild beasts, by whom I shall attain unto God, for I am the wheat of God, and I shall be ground by the teeth of the wild beasts, that I may be found the pure bread of Christ. Encourage the beasts, that they may become my sepulcher, and may leave nothing of my body. May I enjoy the wild beasts that are prepared for me, which also I wish may exercise all their fierceness upon me, and whom for that end, I will encourage that they may be sure to devour me and not serve me as they have done some whom out of fear they have not touched. But, and if they will not do it willingly, I will provoke them to it. Now, I begin to be a disciple, he says. Nor shall anything move me, whether visible or invisible, that I may attain to Jesus Christ. Let fire and the cross, let the companies of wild beasts, let the breaking of bones and tearing of members, let the shattering in pieces of whole body and all the wicked torments of the devil come upon me. Only let me enjoy Jesus Christ. Whew. I love me some Ignatius. All the ends of the world and the kingdoms of it will profit me nothing. I would rather die for Jesus Christ than rule the utmost ends of the earth. Permit me, dear saints, to imitate the passion of my God. The prince of this world, Satan, would gladly carry me away and corrupt my resolution towards my God. Let none of you therefore help him. I take no pleasure in the food of corruption, nor in the pleasures of this life. I desire the bread of God, which is the flesh of Jesus Christ, of the seed of David, and the drink that I long for is his blood, which is incorruptible love. I have not written to you after the flesh, but according to the will of God. If I shall suffer, then I know you have loved me. But if I shall be rejected... I will know you have hated me. That is to say, don't pray for this to go away from me. If I don't end up dying in Rome, it's your fault, and I know you don't love me. That's amazing. So what did Ignatius not do? Curse his persecutors. Here's this bishop of Antioch being shipped to Rome to be fed to the wild beasts, and he's not spending his last week. He writes many letters in this last week. We have seven of them still. He writes, he spends his last week writing to churches, giving them instruction, and never is he cursing his persecutors. He spends time writing to the church in Rome who will witness his death, saying, praise be to God, I get to die for the Lord that I get to suffer for the Lord. He understood what is nearly impossible for modern American Christians to grasp, that the avoidance of suffering for the name of Christ is the very goal of the prince of this world, Satan. He wants us to avoid suffering. He's the one who's planted the seed in our minds that suffering is opposed to goodness. 
to joy, to harmony, to hope, to blessing. He's the one that makes us do mental cartwheels to speak Christian vocabulary about why we're not suffering. How the Lord has blessed us to not have to endure those things. And he carries us away from the blessings the Lord would have us have. And he corrupts our resolution to live as God's Christians. In modern America, we have been and are continually tempted with luxury, comfort, and pleasure. All the time. The poorest of us live greater than any of the kings of old. The poorest of us. Think, think about, you guys familiar with Carnegie Library, right? We have a Carnegie Library. And familiar with Rockefeller and those old industrial age uh, rich guys. You live better than any of them could have ever lived. All of you right now, right here, are way better off than the wealthiest men in America in that day. The fact that you can order Vietnamese food in Eureka is proof of it. They wouldn't even know what to order from Vietnam. And you're like, give me some of that. What do they call it? The, somebody. Yes, that I can't pronounce it. Thank you, right? The fact that we can do that. The fact that you can wash laundry in your own home and that you can flush away your waste. I wouldn't take all the wealth of Rockefeller in 1916 because I wouldn't get any of these conveniences that we have now. He can be rich in 1916, I'll be poor in 2022, and we'll see how well we're doing. We are constantly, though, tempted by luxury, comfort, and pleasure. The thought of losing them, the thought of a little bit of discomfort is so unsettling for us. Suffering for the name of Jesus hardly even really enters the equation. It is itself a source of discomfort, and so we focus on procuring and preserving the pleasures of our life. Anyone who threatens our creature comforts is not to be blessed, but cursed, not loved, but hated, or at least avoided. And just like that, we're repaying evil with evil instead of overcoming it with good for Christ's sake, out of Christ's love. Now, let's put a big giant caveat here so you don't misunderstand me. We are truly blessed in America with many first article gifts. First article of the Apostles' Creed deals with the Father, the Creator, right? And we are blessed with many material created blessings. Don't want to discount that. The good things that we have in this day and age are truly blessings from our Father. But it's these very gifts from the first article of the Creed that the devil so readily uses to get us to forego second article gifts of the creed. The second article being about Jesus Christ and our Savior. The gifts of, et of eternal salvation. The gifts of forgiveness. Those that aren't tangible, that we can't buy and enjoy. The gifts that we have to have spiritual eyes to see. We end up Forgoing those, being carried away from those, as Ignatius would say, by the prince of this world, because we're so focused on the creature comforts that we can see before us. And so Ignatius's quote is quite apt. Let fire and the cross, let the companies of wild beasts, let the breaking of bones and tearing of members, let the shattering in pieces of whole body and all the wicked torments of the devil come upon me, only let me enjoy Jesus Christ. 
We need to remember that. Our temptation in modern America is one of plenty, not one of lack. And we are in decline as a church because we are so affluent. We do not depend on our Lord because we easily depend on ourselves. Christian, repent with me. Let us get ready for a little more 1916. Not having our Vietnamese cuisine or our washing machines in our homes or whatever it may be. As long as we get to enjoy Jesus. As long as we get to enjoy Jesus. You are hungry, and so I want you to come to the altar this morning. In sin, you have set yourself up as an enemy of God, and yet Christ says, I died for you, come and eat and be forgiven. You are my enemy and I will feed you. Romans 12. He satisfies your hunger for righteousness. He is the satisfaction for our soul's forgiveness. He says, come and drink. Having indulged in sin, you stepped away from the forgiveness that I gave to you at the fountain of faith. Baptism. So now come and thirst no more. And drink from my side the blood that I pour out for you. Quench your thirst. I will remove your sin. Your old Adam has been burned up with the coals upon his head that Jesus has lumped there. His evil has been overcome by the goodness of Christ Jesus, the Lord and Savior of your souls. Crucified and distributed to you from this altar. Repent of your sin, dear Christian. Repent with me. Jesus has shown us hospitality, and he's contributed his whole life that our needs would be met, our needs for salvation and forgiveness, so that we would live forever with him in harmony. He has blessed you and not cursed you. He genuinely loves you, So let's eat. Let's drink. His supper is ready. Amen. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen. Amen.